Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, my name is Paul Friedman. I'm chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Mayo Clinic in the Midwest. And I'm delighted to have with me my colleague, Dr. Adrian De Silva, a senior associate consultant in the Division of Circulatory Failure, an expert in heart failure and advanced therapies with a special interest in obesity and heart failure. Dr. De Silva, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here talking with you about this topic. Well, it's, it's fascinating, it's interesting, and it impacts a lot of people. So let's just jump right into it. The first question I have is, is it common for patients to have both obesity and advanced heart failure? And maybe because I think we'll have a pretty broad audience, define advanced heart failure for us as, as you answered. That's, uh, that's a very good question. Yes, it's very common to have patients suffering from both obesity and heart failure. We know that obesity affects more than 40% of the adults in the US. And we also know that heart failure affects more than 6 million of Americans. So we can infer from that that there is significant overlap. Furthermore, we know that obesity per se increases the risk of heart failure, especially heart failure with preserved rejection fraction. You ask a very appropriate question that is important for our audience to understand. We're going to be talking today about advanced heart failure. These are patients with what we know as stage D heart failure, which means end stage patients in whom we are not able to um, sustain their, their clinical course, to improve their clinical course with medications. Patients who are being readmitted frequently to the hospital that may need to wind down their medications, mostly due to problems with their blood pressure. The blood pressure tends to be low, and uh, that's why if they were tolerating higher doses of medications, then they'd end up being peeled off or, even, or at least significantly down. These patients may also need very high doses of diuretics and still suffer from significant congestion, from significant swelling of their legs and shortness of breath whenever they pursue physical activity. Sometimes we also see patients that even when they don't meet this previous criteria, they may be suffering from recurrent ventricular tachycardia. Patients that uh, you guys may see in electrophysiology that have these dangerous uh, ventricular arrhythmias and may undergo ablations, may be treated with an, uh, antiarrhythmics very appropriately, but unfortunately may end up needing uh, ad, uh, advanced therapy, especially a transplant. Now, this would be not the traditional end-stage heart failure patient, but I'm just mentioning them because we are going to be talking also about the impact of obesity in uh, advanced therapies. Now, in a previous discussion we had on a podcast, you, you made the striking observation that patients with obesity and heart failure, we weren't at that time talking about advanced heart failure, but just heart failure in general, tended to have better outcomes, and those who were underweight, presumably from cardiac 
cachexia did worse. Now, as we focus on advanced heart failure, for example, patients undergoing left implantation, do we see the same thing? You're bringing up a very important point to differentiate here. We do see an obesity paradox in patients with heart failure. But when we talk about advanced therapies, it's, it does not seem to be the case, at least when we talk about LVADs. And unfortunately, many patients with uh, obesity tend, especially with uh, BMIs, body mass index, of 35 or higher, tend to have worse outcomes after LVAD implantation. This is very concerning. What are these outcomes? Well, the very important ones. Infections, especially associated with their drive lines. Arrhythmias. In the older LVADs, we used to see more pump thrombosis amongst patients with higher degrees of obesity. They, it's not just the type of, uh, these type of complications that they suffer more frequently. They also tend to wait longer time to be able to receive transplant. Because as you can imagine, the size of the heart that the patients receive during transplantation has to be appropriate for the body of the recipient. Mm -hmm. If your body is much bigger, much heavier, you are likely going to be needing to wait longer for the appropriate match to, ha to happen. And this is also um, something that unfortunately we see in, amongst these patients. Also, amongst patients who uh, undergo transplantation, who have higher degrees of obesity, they tend to have worse outcomes. Now, interestingly enough, I mentioned important complications that are more frequent in patients with obesity who receive LVADs, but mortality does not seem to be significantly higher amongst patients with obesity who receive LVADs. Mortality, at least in the studies from the US, has been similar amongst BMI groups. Now, there was a, a, an important study from France that showed that some patients with higher uh, degrees of, obes of obesity may have a higher risk of mortality during follow-up, but it was also associated with some risk factors. Whereas those patients with obesity and lack of some of these risk factors tended to have the same survival as those patients with normal weight. So just to summarize then, I'm hearing you say that patients who are obese with advanced heart failure who get LVAD or transplantation have a higher risk of complications, driveline infections, et cetera, et cetera. But their mortality is unchanged compared to people who are not obese. Why do you think that is? I think that overall, the pumps seem to be good enough as to support these patients for the rest of their, of their lives. Now, they may suffer these complications. They may end up needing to receive more frequent care to be readmitted. But somehow, these complications, except for some extremes, don't uh, seem to be severe enough in of themselves to threaten their lives. Unfortunately, even when they manage to live longer, sorry, to live the same 
as their lighter counterparts, the same duration, they tend to spend more time dealing with these complications and they tend to be readmitted more frequently. Is there anything that can be done to help improve the outcomes of patients with obesity who do need an LVADR transplant? Can they safely pursue weight loss therapies like bariatric surgery after having gotten an LVAD or a transplant? This has been a topic of a lot of interest in our field. Over the past decade or so, a few centers around the world have tried to address the obesity amongst uh, the L- their LVAD patients. Uh, at least one center pursues bariatric surgery at the same time of LVAD implantation. Mm-hmm. The majority of the centers actually try to implant the LVAD, allow the patients to recover, try conventional weight loss care, and then if that fails, to pursue some other measures such as bariatric surgeries. Why is this such a big problem, you may ask? Why have, uh, do we try to pursue this invasive surgery, this uh, high-risk surgery on these patients? Well, we know that they tend to have worse outcomes. We know they are less likely to receive a transplant with a high BMI, more than uh, 35. So, and we, and we still consider that transplants are the gold standard for patients with end-stage heart failure. Usually when we implant an LVAT, we see a brief weight loss during the first month. Then during the rest of the first year, the weight tends to go up, especially in those patients who had a low body weight or even normal, or sometimes even overweight. The, the BMI tends to go up during their first year. That means also that they tend to accrue significant comorbidity burden during this time. As you can imagine, when they start accruing them, it becomes a vicious cycle. And comorbidities ended up leading to worse comorbidities and so on. And their goal, their, the idea of heart transplantation becomes more and more and more distant. So by pursuing bariatric surgery, which is indeed uh, riskier in these patients and warrants a lot of intensive coordination of care, warrants very skilled, very experienced bariatric surgeon and a very large center experienced not just with bariatric surgery, but dealing also with complex LVAT patients to do it successfully. The experiences have varied among centers, but overall, many of these patients have been able to achieve significant weight loss, even when their initial BMI has been in the 40s, sometimes in the 50s. And some of them have even, well, many of them have even achieved heart transplantation afterwards. That's remarkable. Are weight loss programs widely available for patients with LVADs? Unfortunately, no. That's not something that every center can offer. As you may see uh, in the regular uh, patient with LVAD, the usual story before they come here is that they are very frustrated because they have been told to pursue diet and exercise as 
a means to lose weight. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to work in these patients. As we know, they cannot exercise right. very intensively. Right. Then that also sets a, a barrier for their level of enthusiasm as well. So we see that they are they tend to fail these conservative recommendations. In some cases, some patients may try to pursue then transplantation or bariatric surgery at another centers because they are not offered at their home institution. At, here at Mayo, for example, we are starting to offer our services for comprehensive weight loss management for these patients with LVATs who have a BMI of 35 or higher who want to pursue such uh, interventions, whether they are weight uh, loss medications, uh, weight loss endoscopic procedures, or bariatric surgeries. We want to help these patients loosen of weight so that they can achieve heart transplantation. And even if that was not the main goal, I still firmly believe that these patients still benefit from many of the other um, health benefits that we see in the regular bariatric population. You can imagine that if their right ventricular function is already compromised, we would expect that to improve after significant weight loss. We would, we would expect their degree of arrhythmias to some, somewhat improve or at least not to, to slow down the worsening uh, pattern in their cases. Yeah. So overall, we, I see that these patients tend to do better with this. And we want to make it accessible to any patient, regardless or the, of the institution that they are seeking care right now. We want to help them achieve their goal, to achieve a better health, and we believe that partnering with all multiple centers across the nation, we're going to be able to do so. Well, it's, it's a fascinating topic. It's a complex topic. And it's clear that a comprehensive multidisciplinary approach of people interested in this population that includes heart failure specialists, bariatric surgeons, nutritionists, others are essential to helping us care for these twice in many ways, twice ill patients with both heart failure and obesity. So uh, Dr. De Silva, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise and comments with us and uh, look forward to hearing more about this in the future as it is such a common and important problem. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure to chat with you about this topic. I hope that it, we continue improving the landscape for the patients. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.